0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Children, it seems, know the value of persistence. As youngsters, often our continued pleading with our mother or father would bring us the response that we wanted. That's not to say that everything we ever asked for was given to us because sometimes our choices might have been beyond the means or ability of the parent that we were asking. Other times, our persistence may have taken the form of whining or complaining, and in going against the will of our parent, our requests were ignored or refused. Sometimes our requests were unhealthy, and our mother or our father rightly rejected those requests. But many times, if we asked persistently for something that was healthy for us, and if it were in the capabilities of our parent, and if we trusted that their desire for us was good, we would eventually receive what we wanted. Because of the deep and abiding love our mother or father had for us, we often even received our wishes in spite of our misbehaviors. And because of this love, we oftentimes even received something that was better than what we asked for. We weren't dealt with according to our unworthiness, but instead we were granted grace. Such it is with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as well. Nothing, of course, is beyond His ability to provide to us, and nothing in accordance with His will will be withheld from us. Nothing that is unhealthy for us will flow from him and through the gift of faith that is bestowed on each of us from his holy word and sacraments in spite of our unworthiness we may ask persistently for what we desire like the persistent woman in today's gospel text even though we have no way of justifying receiving it the Lord will grant what we truly need what's more He has already given it to us. No matter how unworthy we are, persistent faith in Christ saves us. Today's Gospel lesson is drawn from a section of St. Matthew's account which which can be considered a transition of sorts, a turning point. Up to now, Jesus has been speaking frequently about the coming of the Kingdom of God or the Kingdom of Heaven. And despite the opposition of the Pharisees who see Jesus' ministry of the gospel to run counter to their desire to have a law-based kingdom of rules and regulations, Jesus has still attracted many followers. A great many people consider Him to be the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Rescuer of Israel. Soon, though, Jesus will begin to tell those who would be His followers just what it means to enter that kingdom. It does not mean glory. It does not mean power. It does not mean rescue from all of the difficulties of life. It does not even mean that there will be a free lunch in spite of His feeding of the crowds. No, to enter the kingdom, to follow Him, means to take up a cross. It means to suffer the rejection of the world. It means to die to sin. At this point in Matthew's record, though, this tough part of the gospel, this stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles of all ages, hasn't yet become widely known. Even without the full-strength offensiveness of this message, Jesus has still met strong resistance from the religious leaders in his own nation. His condemnation and his even outright breaking of their self-generated rules and regulations has earned him their wrath. And so, Jesus withdraws for a while. He leaves Galilee and heads toward the coastal lands of Phoenicia, where the unclean heathens dwell. He steers clear of Jews in general and the Pharisees in particular. Not out of fear, certainly. Perhaps out of disgust or disappointment, or frustration. Perhaps the Lord also hoped that, given some time to think about His message, some of His own people might actually ponder His words and come to repentance. As Jesus tries to keep a low profile, this Syrophoenician woman, this pagan Canaanite seeks Him out. Her child, her precious daughter, is terribly afflicted. This girl is trapped in the living hell of demon possession. Nothing the woman could do, nothing the false gods of her religion could be asked to do would help the poor girl. This Jesus, this Jewish rabbi who had done great wonders, is her only hope. She had heard of Him because the word about Him had been spread into her homeland. Even though Jesus had instructed His disciples earlier to go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the news about Jesus had spread much further. And so, in spite of her nationality and her religion, the word about Jesus had come to her, and it had convinced her that He alone could meet her most heartfelt need. Have mercy on me, the woman begged. In other words, please, I beg of you, even though I don't deserve what it is I I don't deserve from you what it is I am asking, grant me your gracious gift out of your kindness and goodness. What's more, she addresses Jesus as, O Lord, Son of David, even though she was not a Jew, She acknowledges Jesus as both God and Messiah. For these titles, Lord and Son of David, could only apply to the Christ, the chosen Redeemer of Israel. This woman gives Jesus a title that only a handful in His own nation would ever acknowledge during His ministry. Jesus' response to her could hardly have been colder. He completely ignored her. He did not answer her a word, the text says. She apparently showed considerable persistence, however, because the disciples soon had their own request of Jesus. They came and begged Him, saying, "'Send her away, for she is crying out after us.'" The disciples want Jesus to do something about her cries, perhaps even to grant her request, not for God's glory or even for the woman's benefit, it seems, but more likely just to reduce their own discomfort with the situation. It's embarrassing to have someone follow you, to call out after you, to beg you for assistance. Still ignoring the woman, Jesus says to His disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In saying this, He maintains consistency with that which He had taught His disciples when He first sent them out to do their mission work to first spread the word to God's chosen people. Even so, truly good news cannot be constrained to one nation or one people. It had reached the woman's ears, and it had worked faith in her previously pagan heart, faith that the Lord was her hope and her salvation from that which concerned her most at the time. Before Jesus could elaborate further to His disciples, she cast herself down before Him, showing Him great respect and reverence and pleading once again, Lord, help me. At first ignored by Jesus and then pointedly overhearing that she was not among those chosen to whom the Messiah had been sent, this desperate mother is now dealt a final blow. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Of all the heartless responses, we think, how could our loving Lord, the God of mercy, reject the plea of this woman who had shown faith and humility and respect? Martin Luther wrote of this passage of Scripture that among all of Jesus' dealings with people in the Gospels, Here he is painted as most hard and harsh. The dogs Jesus speaks of, however, are not the wild packs of the vicious and dangerous dogs which roamed the countryside in those days. Jesus uses a gentler term, a word used for dogs that were house pets, perhaps even just puppies. Animals perhaps beloved of their master, but still not on par with the children of the household. And certainly not going to receive the same good gifts of the master ahead of his own children. On the surface then, it seems that Jesus quite clearly is saying no to this woman's request. But a good, loving, and perfect Lord can never say no to faith. He may simply answer with a deeply hidden yes. He had not denied this woman's request. He had not rejected her faith. He simply tested it. And here, where many of us might have been tempted to give up in despair or to walk away without hope, this Canaanite woman is granted the strength to give one of the great testimonies of faith ever recorded in the Scriptures. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She had passed the test with flying colors. Jesus' difficult words did not beat her down and discourage her faith. They had given her a spark of hope and faith and certainty that now was fanned into a roaring fire. At each reply that He gave her, her faith and her hope and her certainty grew stronger. She had acknowledged her own unworthiness. Unlike the Pharisees, falsely certain of their place in God's kingdom and rejecting the true Christ, this woman recognized her place and her predicament. But in humility and faith, she trusted in Jesus completely. If the Jews did not want the rich banquet of plenty that Jesus was offering them, that is, the eternal salvation for them and their nation, This foreign woman is glad to receive willingly even a crumb of temporary relief and salvation for her daughter. Yet her faith ensures that she will receive so much more. At that faith, Jesus marvels. And it is rare enough that anything could cause Jesus to marvel. In fact, in the Gospels, it is only at faith and at unbelief that Jesus marvels. And certainly this woman's faith is a marvelous thing. Not marvelous because it is her own doing, of course. Because faith is never one's own doing. Faith can only flow from the trustworthiness generated by another. A level of confidence which overcomes our doubt and our fear. And this woman's faith flowed from all she had heard about Jesus. From the Gospel itself. Seeing that great faith Jesus grants her exactly what she wishes. So it is for us as well. Hearing the Gospel of Christ, the good news that Jesus has come and has taken on human flesh and died to, and to take away our sins, that faith, that trust in Him is placed upon and into each every one of us in spite of our unworthiness, in spite of how far we might have started from Him, in spite of how far we might continue to stray, Jesus comes to us. When we are severely oppressed by the demon of sin, when we have given up all hope and any prayer of receiving help elsewhere, we can cry out in our despair, O Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. When we think He may have ignored us, He has not when the world, like the disciples, wishes that we would just shut up and go away and quit calling upon the name of the Lord, His gift of faith will not allow us to remain silent. When we feel we are not among the elect, when we feel that we deserve to be treated like the least of the members of the household of God, He reaches out to us. For His grace is widespread. It is unbounded. It does not depend on our pedigree, our origin are standing among men. Isaiah makes clear in the Old Testament lesson today that God's grace is sufficient for all mankind. All who are joined to the Lord and who love his name and serve him will be brought to his holy mountain to heaven itself. We will be made joyful in his house of prayer in the one holy Christian and apostolic church. His promise to gather many to Him beyond those already gathered is an ongoing promise. He will use you and He will use me to continue to gather His people into His kingdom. And Paul, that Jew of Jews, writes in our epistle lesson for today that he hopes and strives for the salvation of all men, both Jew and Gentile. Paul tells us that God's mercy is for all mankind because all are disobedient sinners and are in need of it. So even a small dose of that grace and mercy, even what might seem to be a mere crumb from our master's table, is a rich and an all-sufficient blessing for we who are unworthy. With that Canaanite woman, then, let us always acknowledge our unworthiness and our captivity in sin. Even as we rejoice with the hosts in heaven, in the worthiness of Christ, the Lamb who was slain, He whose blood sets us free. Like the Canaanite woman too, let us also remain persistent in our pleading with the Lord for His continued mercy, His continued forgiveness, His continued blessing, for He is gracious and persistent in His patience and in His love. And finally, may we praise and thank God that in spite of the weakness of our faith, Our Father has already viewed it as a great faith because of the perfect merits of Christ which have been applied to us. Give thanks for a persistent faith, a faith which will grant not only what we desire, but what we most desperately need, pardon and peace, salvation and hope, and eternal life in His joyous and heavenly kingdom. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.